bridging the gap. And, uh, you know, every generation, from the older generation to the younger generation, there is a generation gap. And uh, I sense that um, the gap between the younger generation and the older generation today is like the Grand Canyon. It's more than a gap. And uh, so I just, this is my goal, not just as a pastor, it's just, I, I just love people. I love older people, I love younger people, and everybody in between. I just love people. And um, it's my heart's desire to reach every single generation. I'm going to reach them all. And, uh, but I, I've discovered some st statistics about the younger generation that are, you know, they could be alarming. And um, so I'm going to share that. And um, I, do you want to reach every generation? Yeah. All right. I just want to make sure. But, um, and I know that, you know, they say, you know, the World War II generation was the greatest generation that ever was. And that's because, you know, they were just laid down their life. They were so giving and everything. And uh, the next generation, which I don't know where I fall in, but uh, the younger generation, I think, is where I <clears throat> fall in. Anyway, but... Um, yeah, uh, I, I know that every generation is so different, so different. And uh, reaching the younger generation is just really uh, something that I think that we have to give attention to because um, in 2007, the, they said that 16% uh, of the people who believed in Jesus but had no desire or affiliation with any church, 16%. That's 2007. 2018, that figure went up to 25%. 16 to 25% may not sound like a lot, but that's millions of people. And in that statistic, they said everybody that was 35 and younger, 35 and younger, who believed in Jesus, 36% did not go to church or have any affiliation with any church. They said that there's a new uh, term for people like that. It's called the nuns. Not nuns, but I'm N-O-N-E-S. N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. Because they are not affiliated with any church organization whatsoever. 25% of people fit into that category who believe in Jesus. You know, and I know there's some people who think, well, what's the big deal? Do you have to go to church, you know, to, to be, you know, to get to heaven? I know some people think that. I don't believe that. Do you have to go to church to, get, to make sure that God, you know, that God loves you and that you're pleasing to God? I don't believe that. So some of you want to just get up and we'll all just leave and go home. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, my... <laughs> So what is the great thing that, you know, that we should come and meet together? First of all, Paul in his letter said that you should do this even more so in the latter days before Jesus comes back because of the day in which you live. Well, and I totally believe that. But why do we want people to come to church? Why do we want people to come to church? Well, the number one thing is because you're daily getting flooded, and your mind is trying to get programmed by the things that are negative, 
that uh, the world would say this is the most important thing in life or whatever. And uh, my job is to get your mind renewed the way that God intended for you to be so that you can have more victory in your life. I believe if you, if you are connected to a church, I believe that you, there should be fruit from that. And that, by that, I mean, I think that if you get connected to a church, that you'll be a better person. You'll be a better spouse. You'll be better to your kids. You treat your past, and, but uh, you will be just a better person all the way around. And you'll have more victory in your life. And, and I said this in the first service, and it just sucked all the oxygen out of the room. So just get ready. Everybody take a deep breath. That way, if the oxygen does, you'll still be alive. But anyway, I don't believe the greatest intention of preaching the gospel is to get people to heaven. Everybody still breathe? I believe the greatest thing for the gospel is to get heaven into people. Oh, oh if you're going to clap, clap. In the 70s, I'd go to an Eagles concert. They would kick you out. Holy cow. But anyway, my point is this. I don't believe Jesus, his main objective was to get people to heaven. I believe his main objective is to get people to realize that he came to get heaven inside of them right now today. And so what does the church do? We just say, well, it's just one day. We're going to all get to heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be. Okay, you've never heard that song. But anyway, this church doesn't watch movies and doesn't listen to any music. So what do you all do? I'm just curious. In your off time, you read books. That's good. That's good. That's really good. But my goal is to get people to see themselves as God sees them. And you can't get that from the world. You can't get that outside. And listen, they're all, we work together when we are all coming together, not separated. And so we need to come together. I need you just as much as you need me, honey. You go, I don't know. I do. I need you. Just when you show up, I get something from that. I can't really explain it, but as a pastor, you, there's just something that we get from one another that in the spiritual realm, it, it, it's, it can't be explained in the natural realm. So anyway, my point is I, I'm really concerned about the younger generation. I want to make sure that they are reached and uh, because let's just face it, if we don't reach the younger generation, when the older generation dies off, they won't be no church. What is adapting? I looked at, I got this from an article I was reading. It says, it is the willingness to accept that the younger generation does not have the same experiences, values, or frame of references that you had at the same age. You know, if you're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, you know, when, can you remember when you were a teenager? I remember the older people 
or the old people, you know, people in their 30s and 40s, the old people. I did. I used to think, man, at 35, whoa, man, you're old. But anyway, I remember that they didn't like the music that I like to listen to. They didn't like the clothes, bell bottoms. Do y'all know what bell bottoms are? Oh, you do? That makes me feel better. But anyway, bell bottoms. And uh, so they didn't like the music I liked. They didn't like the clothes I liked. And they didn't, the parents just, they didn't like any of that. And so then we get in our 40s, 50s, and 60s, and we look at the younger generation, and we do the exact same thing. And you think, I'm not going to do that. And everybody does that. Everybody does that. And uh, so I'm going to speak, teach on a little bit different subject today that every generation will enjoy. Wow. Wow. We should have it, we should want, let me rephrase it, we should want to have influence in lives of people around us. But if we cannot acknowledge what they are going through first, then we will not have the influence that we need in their life. You have to genuinely care about people. And sometimes the younger people, it's harder for them to genuinely care about older, and likewise, it's harder for the older to genuinely care about the younger. So there was a study done by the Deloitte Consulting. They said 75% of millennials believe organizations are focused on their own agendas more than improving society as a whole, which would include churches. More concerned about their own agenda. I want to change that. Rocky Mountain Family Church is not about my agenda or my kingdom or, or anything like that. I want people's lives to be changed for the better. I want lives to be changed. I want people to be healed. I want people to prosper. I want them to enjoy their relationships. I want them to enjoy life. Did you hear that? God wants you to enjoy life. You know, when I was growing up, if you were enjoying life too much, you know, the pleasures of this world, then you were probably living in sin. I think that is such a lie of the devil. Does anybody agree with me at all in this church? I just, <laughs> I feel alone. But anyway, Jude, let me just say this to the younger generation. Since 2001, is there any younger? I think you're all over here. Since 2001, there's been more atheists get online and do radical debates like never before. And it's caused the younger generation to second-guess the Bible, second-guess their, their faith. And this is what I want you to never forget. You tell any professor, they can out-debate me. They can make me look like a fool. I guarantee you they could. Some guy from Kentucky, I don't know. I, yeah, I just believe in God. But anyway, this is what I want you to remember. You can tell, they can say, see, the, the Bible's wrong in this, and it's, there's an error, and there's uh, contradictions in here. You, you may not have the answer, and I probably wouldn't even have the answers, but this is what I want you to remember. Your faith is built on an event, and it's not built on the Bible. 
I didn't tell you the scripture. I want to throw you a curveball. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. This is what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. I hope that's where it's at. It's either first or second. Remember that because they, uh, a professor can make me look like a fool. This is what Paul said. He said, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So our faith, our doctrine, and everything that we believe is built upon an event. And what was that event? The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! So you can't get around that. You can't disprove that. They can say, well, the Bible says this and the Bible, and there's contradicts. You go, well, I, don't, I don't have that answer. I don't know. But I do know one thing. I'm going to steal this line. I, I got this line from a guy. He said this. He said, if anybody... Listen to this. If anybody predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you ought to listen to him. <laughs> Is that good? So you can tell any professor to eat my dirt. But anyway, Jude chapter 1 verse 21 says this. Jude chapter 1 verse 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and to eternal life. Keep yourselves. Amplified says to guard. Guard and keep yourselves in the love of God. Why did he say that you need to guard and keep yourself in the love of God? Why do you have to guard yourself? Because there's so many things on this planet that will try to tell you and me that God really doesn't love you or you're not pleasing to God or things aren't just lining up. Man, there's stuff that happens like that. Just your emotions, just how you feel, your feelings. You can ask your feelings, you know. I mean, if I ask myself, man, Mike, do you feel like God loves you today or you feel very spiritual? Feeling? My emotions would go, God who? You can't go by that. You can't go by that. But yet we try to detect our spirituality and who God is sometimes by how we feel. You'll be deceived. Because the Bible says this. It says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And there is nothing, Paul said it this way, nothing can separate the love of God from you. Nothing. You know what nothing means in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in Swahili, in any other language you want to pull up? It means nothing. <laughs> nothing can separate you from the love of God, which would include your behavior. Nothing can separate you. From the love of God. So, but you have to guard yourself. There's going to be things that will try, try to make you think that God doesn't love you. Or you're not pleasing to guard. So, you got to make sure that you guard yourself against that. Well, why is that? Because this is going to cause you to see people differently. The love of God. I want to talk to you about that today. Seeing people differently. Because the older people see the younger people in a different manner. And the younger people see the older people in a different manner. And if we don't have this in our foundation, you're going to see people wrong. I don't care what generation you are. You have to know how much God loves you. You have to know that. And we're just scratching the service. And so that's why I've been preaching for several years now this ongoing thing about grace. And I know there's been people who disagree with me, you know, but this is the thing. I can manipulate you 
I can twist your arm, cause you to do things. You should be reading your Bible. You should be studying. You should be, you should be working in the nursery, you bunch of nurseryless people. You should be, and I could twist your arm, or I can come over here and say, I want you just to understand how much God loves you, how much he has done for you, and I believe that you're going to want to do things like it's just in your heart. If, you, if, you, if you're married, if you, you remember you're dating, or if you're younger, you, you remember dates, and if you've never dated... Use another illustration. But anyway, uh, I remember dating Melody when I was in Bible school. And um, my roommate never did have to tell me, Mike, uh, you're not calling Melody very much. And, or Mike, you, you're not going out on Friday nights. or You're not going out on dates. Or, you know, that was never a conversation in, in my dorm room. I mean, nobody had to tell me, to spend time with Melody. I remember one day that we got out of school. I don't know what it was, but we got out of school. We got out of school at 12 noon. Then I usually had to go straight to work at FedEx. And uh, Melody, she didn't go in until about an hour or so later. So I knew she was at home uh, and where she lived. And I had 15 minutes. And just the FedEx in me thought, she lived five minutes in that direction. My work was this direction. So I had 15 minutes. So I jumped in my car, got my FedEx uniform on, jumped in my car, rushed to her house and spent literally two, three, four, five minutes, maybe 10 because I work for FedEx. I can make it up. But anyway, and I made it on time, but I'm just thinking, I look back at her and I just thought, wow. I look back at that and I don't, that was crazy. I drove like a maniac too. I mean, excuse me, sorry. Maybe the Lord heal you. But anyway, I, you just did crazy things when you're, I didn't run over anybody. It's on tape. I got to watch what I say. But anyway, you just, you didn't, nobody had, you just did stuff. I mean, as far as serving, I mean, I would do things for Melody. I still do things for Melody. But anyway, you just, when you know and have a revelation of love, serving is no issue. Giving is no issue. See, I believe something higher than tithing. Here we go. Talking about money. I don't tithe. Again, the oxygen just left the room. But I believe because of my love and appreciation for God... I give more than 10%. I give more this year than I've ever given in my whole entire life, my, my wife and I. And I'm not saying that to pat my back. I'm saying it's because of the revelation of the love of God. When you have a revelation of the love of God, you don't have to be concerned about giving, serving, or anything else. So that's my goal as a, a pastor, as your friend, is to get you because, man, life gets sweeter. You're going to have more victory just because you understand how much he loves you. Second Corinthians backs this up, by the way. The letter to the Corinthian church, Paul wrote this in chapter 5, verse 14. He says, for it is Christ's love. Did you, did you hear that? 
It is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. Let me just stop there. It's not your love for him. It's his love for you that's going to motivate you. It's going to give you passion. It's going to give you drive. It's going to cause dreams to come alive. It's just going to cause life to explode inside of you because he is life. There is no life outside of Jesus. And when you understand the life that is inside of you and become one with you, when you know that Christ's love fuels you, it will change your life. Calls you to enjoy life. He says, for it is Christ's love that fuels your passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means that all died with him. Verse 15. So that those who live should no longer live absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him. You're only going to serve and pour your life out for him if you understand how much he loves you. If you do it, and, and you don't understand how much he loves you, then you're doing it from a religious standpoint of view, and it means absolutely nothing. I'm just saying. The one who died for us and now lives again. Verse 16. So then, from now on, everybody say from now on. Because you understand how much God loves you, he says, so from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. Did you hear that? So the older people need to quit evaluating people how they look. We're going to have to get oxygen mask in here, I can tell. Next Sunday, they'll be hanging on the wall. I'm your fault. No, but anyway. <laughs> it's easy to judge people. Church people are some of the worst. They do. They judge. I remember getting judged. I remember judging. Forget that. I remember judging. In the back of my mind, I go, eh. hmm. Hmm. Appearances, behavior, I'm just preaching, don't mind me. This is the thing, it takes grace to do this. I can't do it and you can't do it. It's just in nature to be judgmental and to look at people they're different from me I look at everybody and go the whole world's different from me <laughs> that's not funny but anyway it's just easy to judge people but Paul sits there and he says I'm going to write to the Corinthian church and I'm going to write to the church in Pueblo he says, because you are now getting an understanding and a revelation of how much God loves you from this point on, from this point on, I want you to quit judging people. You know, I remember, you know, the older people, when they, you know, this younger generation, they're getting, I mean, they're just getting tattooed up everywhere. Here a tat, there a tat, everywhere a tat, tat. <laughs> so you hear some preaching, you know, that, man, that's just, the Bible says, you know, tattoos are of the devil. First of all, it doesn't say that. 
But the scripture that they point out is in Leviticus chapter 19. I didn't mean, it's not, you don't have to go there, but in Leviticus chapter 19, the whole chapter, it talks about the law, things you shouldn't do. In verse, I don't know where it's at, but it's in chapter 19. But anyway, it says thou, you, you know, not to get a tattoo, but if you study that in the cultural, where he was writing about, it was tattoos, they would do that to their God to promote that that's the God who they served and followed. They would get a tattoo. So that's why it said don't get a tattoo. But it's amazing that we can pull that out and say don't do that. While in that same chapter, it says that you should not wear any linen that is mixed. So if there's anybody here wearing polyester and cotton, you be sinning today. Please keep your clothes on, but I'm just saying... For some of you are thinking, oh, I told no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, I am so funny. But anyway, nobody points, you've never heard a scripture, you've never heard a sermon on that, have you? In that same chapter, it says, don't mix seed. So if your lawn at home has fescue and bluegrass in it, you be sinning. Go home, get to tweezers. Pull all the fescue out, leave the bluegrass. Not supposed to mix seed. You hear messages on that? <laughs> oh, I wish you could see some of the faces. But anyway, my point is this. All of that is under the law. There's over 600 laws of that things you shouldn't do. But sometimes the church can just pull this one out and pull this one out and say we shouldn't be doing this to manipulate and have power of what they like and what they don't like. And this is why Paul has taught us from the book of Romans and throughout all the epistles that we are not under the law anymore. That would be Leviticus chapter 19. So, polyester and linen, cotton, it's okay. Fescue and bluegrass, it's okay. I'm not going to get a tattoo, but if you have a tattoo, it's okay. I know, I'll probably get a letter. You just, listen to me. We need to quit judging from appearance. That's the whole point. Can you pull that scripture up again? Where are we at? 16? For that's how we once viewed the anointed one. But no longer do we see him with limited human insight. He says, we've seen Jesus in the flesh, but we no even longer judge or, or, or want to just remember him after the flesh because you're going to lose human insight. You're going to lose things just from looking from people on the outside. So my point this morning is older people, don't be so judgmental of the younger. The younger, don't be so judgmental of the older. Let's quit it. And listen, you're not going to be able to do this by your own flesh and blood because, man, when I think of this, I think, Lord, I, I, I was studying this, putting my notes down. I thought, well, I can't do that. You want me never to 
for somebody's appearance or their behavior. You don't ever want me. He says, you can't do that. But I said, you want me to do that. He says, I want you to do that, but you can't do that. But you want me to do that, but I can't do that. He says, you're absolutely right. You, I want you to do that, but you can't do that. And this went on and on. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, if you don't have a revelation of how much God loves you and the grace that it takes, that it's already in you, his love and the grace of God has to be called upon to be able to do and live like this. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By this, not because your theology is perfect, not because you know so much about God even, not because you do anything. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Amplified Version. He, he, just, he just, can you pull that up? The Amplified Version, 1 Corinthians chapter, first three scriptures, you remember those, right? Talking about the love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Amplified, he says, listen, if you think that you have arrived in the spiritual realm, that your love is so great and you've sacrificed, he says, if you can speak with tongues of men and of angels, but you don't have love, that reason, intentional spiritual devotion such as inspired by God's love in and for us. He says, you are a noisy gong. Y'all remember the gong show? Gong. Y'all remember the gong show? (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, which means it's just bad. And if you have prophetic powers, you know that word prophetic is used throughout the church world everywhere. Oh, I have a prophetic dream. I had a prophetic, I mean, I had prophetic underwear. I mean, everything's prophetic. (laughs) And if I have prophetic power, the gift in interpreting the divine will and purpose, that's pretty important, wouldn't you think? And understand all the secret truths and the mysteries and, and possess all knowledge. And if I have sufficient faith, I've got sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love. God's love in me. I am nothing, a useless nobody. I like it that God just puts things in perspective. The church can get things out of perspective. You and me, we can get things out of perspective, can't we? You know? I mess up here, I mess up there, I say this wrong, you say this wrong. Oh, we do this, we do that. And God says, just wait just a minute. Or we puff ourselves up and say, man, I got this and my job, I've done this and I've, I've acquired this and everything. And God says, you know what the main thing is? The main thing is the main thing. And it's always been the main thing. Love. And I'm going to bring it down even another notch. Not so much your love for him, but his love for you. We miss that. If you miss that, you will miss everything else. You may be prophesying, speaking in tongues. You may be doing all kinds of stuff. But Paul says, if you don't get a hold of the love part, you're going to be on the gong show. So 
2 Corinthians 5, 16 says this, the New Living Translation. This is the NLT. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Have y'all, have y'all done that? Don't, don't answer. <laughs> I'm always nervous that somebody goes, no, no, haven't, no, haven't. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how we differently know him now. Grace is going to challenge you and me to not see people after the flesh. So the reason I'm preaching this message is because this is available for us. And not only is it available, if we're going to reach generation, whether it's the older generation or the newer generation, we better get this down. Are you hearing me? We better get a hold of that God loves everybody, not just the ones who got their act together. (laughs) Not just the ones who are, well, you know, at least they're not dysfunctional. God so loved the world, not just the ones who are not really bad off. He loved every single person that would ever be born on this planet. It takes grace to see people the way that God sees them. So the challenge is this. So when you see somebody that's maybe in your Observation may be a little weird in their appearance, a little weird in their behavior, a little weird and just with a capital W, they're just so weird. You may say this, God, how do you see that person? I guarantee you it'll be different the way that you see them. Listen to me. You can either call people out on their behavior or you can call them up on their identity. Everybody hear that? I'm going to say it again. You can either call people out on their behavior, which we probably have all done. Can you believe they did that? I just can't believe they did that. Somebody's probably said that about you, by the way. (laughs) Can you believe they did that? You can either call people out on their behavior or you can call them up on their identity. I remember two or three years ago, my two boys, they did something. I was just like, kaboom, my jaw hit the floor. I go, you got to be kidding me. And so I went to them. I just said, I know you did this, but that's not who you are. And they looked at me. I said, that's not who you are. You're a child of the king. Jesus lives in you. You are king and a priest, and you're holy and you're righteous. So I, you just don't know who you are. But that's not you that just did that. You are far better than that. Wow, you can either call people up on their identity and say, this is who you are, or you can call people out on their behavior. And calling people out on their behavior will never change them. I know because I have tried. You probably haven't, but I have. If you would just stop it, if you would just, if you would just, if you would just take that statement out of your vocabulary. The story of, real quick, there's so many stories in the Old Testament 
even in the New Testament, that point to people missing it because they tried to judge on behavior or judge on appearance. Samuel, God told Samuel, he says, I want you to go and I want you to choose a new king. He says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. He's got eight sons. And so I want you to go there and I want you to pick the son whom I choose. God told Samuel, the one whom I choose. So in 1 Samuel, if you want to pull it up real quick, we got to go quickly. Um, so now the Lord said to Samuel, yeah, let's just go to verse 6. There you go. So Jesse has his firstborn pull up to him and he said, it was so that when he came, he looked Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is Samuel the prophet, the God who speaks for God. He's looking at this tall, dark, handsome dude. Strong, tall, big. He's, this has got to be the next king. And God said, no, I refused him. Next something comes along, verse 8. He sits there and he goes, surely this is the son. He said, uh, no, that's not him either. And in verse 9, he gets the son after son after son until finally all seven sons come before him and, and Samuel says none of these are him do you got any more boys Jesse said well we got the youngest he's out taking care of the sheep he's out taking care of the sheep he said I will not sit down until you bring that one before me this is my point his own daddy did not think he was royalty type material. His own dad said, you know, he, I, I, well, I got the youngest kid. I mean, he's a kind of a runt. He's Rudy complexion. You know what Rudy means? I could pull my sleeve up and this is, would be Rudy. I didn't know what color my skin was. Somebody says, are you white? And I go, not really. Now I know, it's roadie. I've asked God when I get to heaven, I want dark brown. Anyway. I mean, he wasn't even royalty material to anybody. And God said, that's the one. He was a man of God and he missed it of you and I miss it let me say it another way we miss it by just looking on the outside we miss it when we base it upon appearance upon what they like and don't like and we miss it even when it's upon the behavior I'm glad God didn't judge me based upon all three of them appearance <laughs> really uh, strongly about the parent, but uh, what I like and don't like. Let me tell this funny story. It just happened last night. We were getting ready to eat supper. Jared, Joel, my two boys, and Melody. Melody walks down the hall, and she just, and I was there on this little filing cabinet. And I said, "Somebody put the bill there." I go. I don't remember putting that bill there. So I said, Melanie, did you put that bill there? And she just kept walking up to me. She just got real close and she stared at me. I took a step back and I said, did, did you put that bill? She was in my bubble. And so I said, did you put that, that bill there? She just started staring at me and the two boys just busted out laughing. 
And I go, what's going on? I don't get it. And so I, I said, well, I guess it's not that big a deal, you know, I <laughs> put it back up. And, and so I started talking about something else and the boys just, I mean, busted out laughing. And Joel or Jerry, one of them said, dad, are you having a bit? <laughs> having a bit. Are you doing a bit? Doing a bit. Yeah, that's, I'm doing a bit. And I thought, bit of honey or bit of, I don't know what he was talking about. I go, what in the world is he talking about? Have y'all ever heard that phrase? Having a bit. And finally, they said, Melody goes, I got new glasses. And I looked at her and I went, oh, I missed it. And Joel, Jerry, they thought that I was putting on. That's what bit means. Did y'all, did anybody know that? All the younger people. I learned that last night, first time. So yeah, I said, yeah, I'm putting on a bit. And they go, no, you didn't put on a bit because you thought you, you didn't know it was her glass. They go, no, I did not. I did not. No, she got new glass. So I learned. I mean, just right then and there, it was a generation gap between me and I learned a new word, B-I-T. I thought it was what you put in a horse's mouth, but evidently it means that you're putting on. You're putting on. And everybody got a good laugh out of it because I was putting on a bit. My point is this, when we want to embrace and love and care for one another, no matter how they look, no matter what they like or dislike, how does God see that person? He died for them. I said he died for them. I said he loves them so much he would do anything and has done everything and he will continually always look after them and love them. That's just who he is. It's just who he is. So I just want all of our hearts, the older generation, to look after the younger. The younger, to look up to the older. By this, shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you follow me. Because you love people. We're a messed up bunch. <laughs> we are, but I do know this. We're growing in how much God loves us. And the greater revelation we have of that, the greater revelation we'll have for one another. Amen. Let's stand. All right. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord that you're helping us, the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, that we may know how much you love us so that we can love one another. I just pray that this message will burn in our hearts on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and throughout the week, throughout our life, that we will love people by the grace of God, by the grace of God, that we will love people in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm